Happy Father's Day. Glad to have everybody here uh, and welcome. We are, this is probably the weirdest Father's Day sermon ever. We're looking at Proverbs 31. It's the wife of noble character. So uh, sorry, fathers. Uh, you, uh, maybe you won't be a sorry. Maybe you'll be blessed to hear this, uh, this passage. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Proverbs 31. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, Typically, if you open your Bible to the very middle, it'll hit one of the Psalms. And, uh, and from Psalms, you just make a right turn. And after the 150th Psalm, uh, you'll find the beginning of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is 31 chapters, uh, mostly compiled by King Solomon. And many people are in the habit of reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. And uh, if you do that, you can cycle through the book of Proverbs a chapter a day you can cycle through the book uh, 12 times in a year, and it <clears throat> typically lends to a life of wisdom, although wisdom is not so much about knowledge as much as it is about applying knowledge in situations under the fear of the Lord. So once you have faith and fear, wisdom is not just having knowledge. Wisdom is the skill of applying knowledge in the right time, in the right situation, under the fear of God. So we're in um, Proverbs 31, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 31. And this is really an appendix to the Ruth sermon series that we just completed last week. As Proverbs 31, the wife of noble character, an excellent woman uh, who can find, is closely connected linguistically and historically and in the Hebrew Bible Ruth follows just shortly after Proverbs in the, uh, in the book order in the Hebrew Bible. And so for many reasons, these two are connected. So we're going to spend today looking at verses 10 through 31. So follow along with me as I read. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine in linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates where he, when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, 
But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it is no coincidence uh, that we are studying this passage today and that you have brought us to this place or brought others to, uh, the, to listen to the sermon online. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name that you would take your words and use them and strengthen us, teach us by them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, did you know that the tallest woman in the world is Zing Zhenlan? She was a Chinese woman. She passed away in 1982, but she was eight feet, one inches tall when she died. Did you know that the largest uh, and considerably toughest woman in America is Lindsay Hayward. She's a professional wrestler and she is six feet, nine inches tall and weighs 240 pounds and is often called the strongest woman in America. Did you also know that according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the highest officially recorded number of children born to one woman, she doesn't even have a name listed, she is the wife of Fyodor Vasiliev, a peasant from Shuya, Russia. In 27 pregnancies, she gave birth to 69 children. <clears throat> 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> Did you also know that the world's tallest statues of women, the, the first place winner is a statue called the Motherland Calls. It's a statue of a, a woman, 278 feet tall, holding a sword and welcoming World War II veterans back into Russia. Uh, the third tallest statue of a woman in the world is our own Statue of Liberty. It's a 150 foot, to, uh, foot tall statue given by the French to the people of the United States of America. And I remember the first time I saw the Statue of Liberty. I'd seen pictures, of course, all my life. But the first time I saw it, um, Julie and I and a, a couple of friends, uh, they took me out for my birthday in New York City. And I think we went on the Staten Island Ferry to the ESPN zone. And, and I remember uh, crossing um, the water and looking out and just remarking how amazing it is to see it in person. But that was uh, nowhere near as important or nowhere near as impactful as a few years later, we went to, um, to the Liberty Island and stood at the base and just gazed upward and just seeing all the detail of the Statue of Liberty. Um, it was um, intimidating. It was impactful. She was imposing, seeing all the details. Well, in many ways that all these women uh, are incredible and notable, the tallest woman in the world and the tallest statue in the world could not compare to the height and the imposing, intimidating figure of the woman of Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 woman, as she's known, stands higher and taller than any other woman in the world. Jesus might have even prayed before he understood maybe his purpose for a wife like this. Jesus' mother certainly prayed over Jesus' brothers and sisters that they would be men who sought a woman like this and that their daughters would become women like this. 
Certainly Jewish mothers and fathers knew this um, proverb well, and this was a standard uh, that they would shoot for. So let's understand this, because it can be an intimidating person. Um, women simultaneously love and hate uh, this, this girl. Um, and so we want to understand why that is and to make sense of this. To make sense of it, it's helpful to know a little bit about Proverbs. The Proverbs were written by Solomon. Uh, Solomon was the son of David, uh, actually Boaz and Ruth's great-great-grandson. Um, If you understand Proverbs, you understand that Proverbs is a book of characters. Imagine a high school play where all the cast comes up and take a bow at the end. Each individual person plays a different role, and Proverbs lists a cast of characters, and they're caricatures, not just characters, they're caricatures. You ever had somebody draw a caricature of you at a fair, and they exaggerate some feature, your big ear or your, your big teeth or, or whatever it is, your bald head, whatever it is for you, the caricature, they draw that. All the characters in Proverbs are not real people. Um, they're caricatures or ideals or characters of people. Uh, the wise, the fool, the upright, the diligent, the prudent, the simple, the sluggard, the adulterous, the wicked, the scoffer, the one who lacks sense. They're all characters that come out at different times during the book of Proverbs. But as we um, meet the woman of worthy character, the the excellent wife here, um, as we meet her, it may be helpful for us to meet the other cast of women in Proverbs because there are six particular women in Proverbs that are different characters to whom Uh, this woman is contrasted. So let's just roll them out and meet them real quick. Um, This is broken down from an article from Dora Weathers. She's a Christian counselor, and she has these several groupings of Proverbs in this online article. She lists six categories of women in Proverbs. Number one are the brawling, contentious, and quarrelsome women. She writes, from Proverbs, it's better to live in the corner of the attic alone in the desert than it is to live in a beautiful home with this brawling kind of woman. She is labeled as angry and complaining, and she is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Don't point at anybody, all right? Uh, The brawling, contentious, and quarrelsome woman. That's the first one. Uh, A second type of woman is the fair and lovely and beautiful one. Uh, And in chapter 11, Solomon credits, uh, is credited for this proverb, He says that like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Discretion is defined as taste or judgment, and his only um, insight toward a beautiful woman is that her beauty is taken away if she lacks discretion, if she doesn't have good judgment, if she doesn't have solid taste and doesn't make uh, good choices. The second or the third kind of woman in Proverbs is the gracious woman. The gracious woman is known for developing and maintaining her honor, dignity, reputation, and respect with passion. For example, Proverbs 11:16 says a gracious a gracious woman maintains honor as violent men get riches. So to the degree that which a violent or aggressive man might pursue money, the gracious woman pursues dignity and honor and respect and grace. The fourth kind of woman is the immoral or promiscuous woman. She's the uh, personification of all folly. She is described with other words like simple, brash, clamorous, and ignorant, 
whorish, a harlot, uh, an adulteress, and a prostitute who brings men to poverty and whose sexual rendezvous with married men costs him his life. Men are advised that they must steer clear of this kind of woman as her lips are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. She is reputed to be an evil flatterer and those who allow her into their hearts will be led down the wrong path and into a dangerous trap. While men are avoided to, uh, warned to avoid her, other women, based on the general dis, uh, instruction of Proverbs, women ought to draw near to her, uh, to befriend her in order to win her, a woman who wins souls to Christ is wise, Proverbs 11.30. Women are instructed to advise her, Proverbs 12.26, the one who is righteous guides the neighbor, and to sharpen her as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another in 27.17. This woman is also encouraged to seek the company of the wise so that she can learn to develop good judgment, Proverbs 4.5. The fifth category of women is the woman who is wise, the woman, this woman is the personification of wisdom and refers to the one who builds up her house rather than destroying her house. Proverbs 14.1, the wisest of women builds up her house, but the foolish one with her own hands destroys it. And then finally, we get to the virtuous, excellent, worthy woman. Now, these are the six kinds of women in Proverbs. Well, no matter where you are today, uh, no matter what category you might see yourself in, there is hope for change and room for growth. And this sermon is not meant to uh, discourage you, uh, nor is it meant to um, highlight any of your past faults or struggles, but to encourage you in a way to walk. So let's understand back to verses 10 through 31 of Proverbs 31. Let's understand this poem. It's, we're going to break it down into seven sections, and we're going to move at a pretty rapid clip through these seven sections. So look back at verses 10 through 12. It says, an excellent wife, but the Hebrew could also be translated a worthy woman. So if you're not a wife, that's okay. These apply loosely in the sense that it's also a worthy woman. Remember in Ruth chapter 3, after Ruth uncovers Boaz's feet, uh, he is startled and they have this late night conversation and he says, I will do everything for you because everyone knows that you are a worthy woman. All my townspeople know how worthy of a woman you are. That's the same Hebrew phrase translated here as excellent wife. In context here, it's talking about a wife, but it's also a worthy woman. So number one, verses 10 through 12 describe Describe her as trustworthy. She's trustworthy. She's more precious than jewels. Her contribution to her husband is good. She does him good. She doesn't harm her husband. She is consistently, regularly, faithfully doing good. And that makes her valuable. Why else is she valuable? Because she's also virtuous. Nobility is described. She is a virtuous woman. Also translated as strong, wealthy, able, and valiant in other words, she has excellent character. And because she's virtuous and has strong character, she is trusted. The heart of her husband trusts her. 
You can contrast that with the adulteress described in Proverbs 7, 10 through 20. It says about her that the moment her husband leaves town with money to go to work, she quickly makes her bed and dresses seductively and goes out to find the simplest man she can find to bring home with her. This woman, however, contrasted to her, is trustworthy, not um, untrustworthy. I used to work at UPS in Louisville, Kentucky. And when I was on the night shift at, at, uh, at UPS, we would load and unload airplanes and packages and all that. And I, I was 30 or so, and I, I hated the labor. It was like just long, hot nights and labor. So I thought, I got to get a promotion. <laughs> so I did everything I could to get promoted to management because managers don't really you know, work like, you know, as much as the physical labor laborers do. And so I did, I found my way into management and, uh, and I, I worked in air conditioned rooms and held clipboards and looked at my watch a lot and walked fast and, you know, did all the things that managers do. But I noticed that uh, at the beginning of the night and at the end of the night, uh, other managers, other men who had made this their career would say things, time to go check the mileage, uh, time to go make sure my wife is home. Time to go make sure everything is in order at my house. Don't know what I'm going to find. And over time, I started to realize that the dangers of working the night shift and not uh, being uh, with your wife at home in bed is uh, a breeding ground for adulterous behavior. And there was a lack of trust. That's not how this woman is. She is massively trustworthy. Her husband never worries about where she is or what she's doing. The second category, let's move to the second category. Verses 13 through 19 just summarize the fact that she is a massively hard worker. You remember in the book of Ruth, uh, she woke up early. She went to the field early. Boaz was continually testing her squat strength by putting loads on her. At one point, he puts 100 pounds of grain on her and she walks through the city. This is a strong woman and a hardworking woman. Um, the second category listed in this acrostic poem is that she is a hard worker. She seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchants. She brings food from afar. She rises in the night while it's still early. Uh, she gets up. She buys a field. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength. She has strong arms. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. She stays up late at night to work. She is a strong worker. Contrast that with the Bible's continual warnings of idleness. Idleness is all over Scripture, especially in Ecclesiastes, the lazy, the sluggard in Proverbs, all the way through to the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Paul said to the Thessalonians, you yourselves know how to imitate us. We weren't idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any one of you. It was not because we didn't have the right, but even when we were with you, we gave you this command, if someone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who walk in idleness, not busy or productive at work, but being busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn a living. 
In 1 Thessalonians 4, we read this great encouragement to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. This lady is not an idle woman. She's a hard worker. It talks about wool and flax, making clothes for winter. That's wool and flax was a linen type material for summer clothes. She's a merchant, meaning she's going to different places, seeking out interesting and diverse foods for her family. She's up early prepping for her family. She's up late. She's buying property. This lady is a hard worker. The third section, verse 20, gets its own section She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. We can just title this section as she's compassionate. With all the successes of this woman, with all the advances of this woman, she never forgets where she came from. She feels deeply. And she feels deeply for those who have less and those who are not Uh, in her station of life, she doesn't forget how far she's come, but she reaches backward. And it's worth noting today, it's common to advance in your life and never look back with compassion, but keep reaching forward. This woman does not do that. The compassion, the feelings of compassion that she has causes her to action. She reaches back. Let's move to the fourth section, verses 21 through 22. This woman is prepared. She's not afraid of snow. Uh, She's not afraid because her household is clothed uh, in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She's ready for tough times. This indicates foresight and thoughtfulness and looking forward into the future. She's prepared for today, but she's also planning for the future. But I also want you to see here that she's not just prepared for her household In verse 22, she also prepares for herself. And there's a good principle here. She makes bed coverings for herself. That means she probably made her own mattress. She made her own comforter. She made the, the, we make a bed. She made the bed, right? She she made the whole bed. Uh, But she knows the value of taking care of herself. She made her own bed because she knows that she needs rest. She needs to rest well. She dresses well. She's making her own clothing in fine linen and purple. This indicates that she possesses personal pride in her appearance. It's not wrong to care for yourself if you're a caregiver. It's unhealthy to care for others so much so that it is at the expense of yourself. This is that principle we talked about with Ruth. Put your own mask on. Oxygen mask on before you put your child's mask on on the airplane that's going down, right? You take care of yourself. And that's part of her preparation is knowing how to meet her own needs. The fifth section. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She is a blessing to her husband. She builds him up and she does not tear him down. Far from being lost in the shadow of her man, she stands on her own, but she does so in a way that brings her husband honor without seeking to usurp him or to dominate over him or to be an aggressive woman who is domineering over her husband. She understands the order 
in which God has made them, we call this complementarian theology that both men and women are completely equal in value and dignity and honor and have yet have different roles. God has ordered men and women to fulfill their roles in different ways without detracting from their value and honor and dignity. And this woman does that. She is not a a domineering woman. Sixth section, verses 24 through 27, she makes linen garments and sells them. uh, Then it says strength and dignity are her clothing. That speaks to her character. She laughs at the days to come. Uh, She opens her mouth with wisdom. And listen to what she teaches about. Verse 26, she teaches the teaching of kindness or grace on her tongue. She, this woman, the sixth section, we can say she's endowed with godly wisdom. She's a wise woman. There's depth in her life. She's a teaching woman. She teaches of kindness. That's important. She teaches of grace. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says that older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and train the younger women how to love their husbands and their children, how to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind, there's that word again, and submissive in their, to their husbands so that the word of God may not be reviled. This is a thinking person, a wise woman. She's aware of debates. She's aware of the current trends and thoughts. And she's not, um, she's not too, um, uh, she, she's willing to engage in conversation and to teach in her position. And finally, the final section is verses 28 through 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also when he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. What can we say about this seventh section of this woman, the final section? We can say that her faith outshines her appearance. She is known more for what she believes than how she looks. She is a woman who fears the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise that wisdom and instruction. Now, I don't think that this message can be preached too much today. I think we need to hear it over and over again in the church, especially in a culture when we tend to value people by how they look and their outward appearance. In this culture, we must stress that faith and character matter more than the outward appearance. Um, Frankly, I see women struggling on social media, and I think the pressures there are exhausting. Because you're able to cultivate a carefully constructed appearance that may or may not even match up with reality. You can show people a version of yourself that is only partially true. But the Proverbs 31 woman has no need to be afraid of that because she has a rock-solid character and she is driven first and foremost by her fear of the Lord and her faith. It says a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears the Lord is greater than the woman who has given in to the hollow perceptions of a social media lifestyle. And then you see in this final section that she's rewarded. There's a reward for her 
And it's a meaningful reward. It's the kind of reward that when I preach a, a funeral, it's the easiest kind of funeral to preach when a woman or a man has lived a life of character and honor uh, that you can talk about who they are and there's a celebration of life. You don't have to investigate to find good things to say at a person like this's funeral. Verse 28, her family recognizes her and celebrates her. And that's where it matters. It's the easiest place where your character shines the brightest is when no one else is around except for those who are most comfortable with you, right? That's the hardest place is at your home to live out your faith. And she does that. Her family recognizes that. But not just her family. Outwardly, verse 29, she surpasses all other women, meaning she has a strong reputation in the outward community. Verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. In other words, her activity and her actions, her consistent behaviors, her commitment to truth and to the Lord will eventually be recognized and rewarded. Well, that's a lot, all right? What are we supposed to do with this? Um, Guys, uh, you should thank God if you recognize your wife in these passages, if you're married. Young men, uh, you should seek this kind of woman, uh, but to seek and, and be this kind, to, to be married to this kind of woman means that you need to be equally strong in character and conviction and faith. Uh, but let's, let's get some application in here, all right? Three points of application as I close. Number one, relax, all right? Do not let this become an unattainable source of frustration and anger, right? Ladies, you're like, oh, great. The Proverbs 31 lady, right? Uh, relax. Let me just help you relax a little bit, okay? Put this passage into perspective. The Holy Spirit uses Proverbs 31 in a similar way that he uses the law. The law is unattainable. The law Paul says in Romans, was meant to show you how unrighteous you are. And this similarly shows us where we fall short and shows us that we shouldn't fall into legalism, but grace. The law shows us our lack, our personal lack of righteousness and our need for a savior. This poem of the perfect woman shows our need for grace. And listen, this is a poem. This is not, you couldn't, they weren't looking at this girl. It's an acrostic poem. An acrostic is that there are 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and the author went to great lengths to try to find 22 characteristics that lined up with the alphabet. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit, Hey, Vav, Zion, Pei, Kof, Resh, Samed. Uh, he's just looking for, oh my gosh, what am I going to come up with for Resh, right? What am I going to come up with for Seen and Sheen and, and Yod and Kof and Lamed and Mame and Nut? He's going through the alphabet trying to find virtuous things about a woman. He's just writing a poem, all right? This is not a real person. It's hard to come up with 22 perfect qualities. And so if you don't know that about this, you would be tempted to think, oh my gosh, now I got to go find out what flax is and I got to get up early and I got to sew some clothes. And no, this is not saying that. That's bad hermeneutics. Don't push a genre that's not there. This is not Paul instructing women how to behave. This is an author sculpting something out of stone to show us a perfect ideal 
So don't fall into the pressure to make every verse your reality. His goal was to make an alphabetic acrostic poem, not to make you feel like a jerk because you didn't buy a field this week, not to make you feel like a jerk for not sewing your clothes at 4 a.m. and not staying up late and selling cool stuff on Etsy, all right? But let's have a good starting place for application here, all right? A good starting place for application is not just to throw the whole poem out, but it's also not to put the whole poem on your shoulders and say, how can I live up to this? So here's a good starting point for how to apply this, all right? Number one, or A, one A, identify your strength. Identify your strength. Was there one part of this, not trying to humble brag for yourself, but to say, you know what, that's me. I, I, I resonate with that, compassion. No, or, or I resonate with the fear of the Lord. Or I resonate with the fact that God has blessed me as a businesswoman and I, I have an ability to create value and meaning. Or I'm a, a, I care about my household. Pick one thing that really resonates and you can identify and others would identify also as your strength and submit that strength to the service of God and to the church and to your family and walk in it. Proudly and freely, acknowledge where your strength is in this passage. But on the flip side, also strengthen your weakest place. Was there some point in this poem that you felt a gut punch and you were like, oh, I'm just lazy. I mean, I feel really lazy or I feel, you know, like my past um, is hindering me or my character is bad or I lack in faith or what's lacking Right? So celebrate and, and, and understand where you're strongest here. This is just a starting point for application. And then also strengthen the weak part that you found in yourself. So that's the first application point. The second application point, how do we apply this to our life? Number two, if you're in Christ, strive for godly character over outward appearance. If you're in Christ, and I say it that way on purpose because if you're not in Christ... This does not build favor with God, okay? So if you're in Christ, if you're a Christ follower, a believer, living by faith, build up your character. Character rules. Character is what you do when no one is watching. What you do when no one is around. Are you upright? Do you cheat? Do you take shortcuts? Are you trustworthy? Work harder on who you're becoming more than how you look to people who don't really matter. Ask yourself, why am I trying to impress people that I don't even know? (laughs) Uh, Be a person of character. We call this the doctrine of progressive sanctification. That is, it's the doctrine that you are being changed by the Holy Spirit from one degree of glory to another. He is transforming you. You are changing. He meets you where you are, and a little bit at a time, you become more and more like Jesus. You don't have to worry about other women. You don't have to worry about other guys. God meets you where you are. No one knows how far you've come. Oftentimes people will look at me and they want me to be further. I'm a pastor or whatever. And I say, you don't know where I came from. You don't know what my life was like in Noble, Oklahoma and the family that I was raised by. And the, God met me where I was, an atheistic, uh, lost, immoral 17-year-old. And he changed me from that point in degrees, little by little changing me. Don't worry about where everyone else is. Understand that he is transforming you as you pursue godly, Christ-like character. The third point of application. 
And I want you to hear this really, really clearly. If you're tuned out or if you're asleep, time to wake up, right? This is the last point and we're going to be done. But, but despite the lofty description of the Proverbs 31 woman, it's like the Statue of Liberty or like the homecoming woman or whatever. Despite the big picture of who she is, salvation was then, is now, and always will be by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be this woman you can fit the description perfectly. You can be moral. You can be a, a woman of godly character in, a, in all these ways outwardly. But if you do not exercise personal faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot merit favor with God. Do you understand that? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, but by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, not by works, lest somebody can boast. Salvation is not a series of scales where your good works and your righteousness outweighs your bad works and your unrighteousness. Salvation is by grace through faith. That's why Jesus in his own lineages mentions people like Rahab the prostitute, Ruth the Moabitess, Bathsheba, Tamar, Mary Magdalene, uh, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. Jesus lifts her face and says, is there anyone to condemn you? She says, there's no one left. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Listen, Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross. You don't have to be the Proverbs 31 woman to be saved. Amen? Isn't that good news? Doesn't that just release the pressure valve that many of you feel to impress God with your righteousness and your good works and your moralism and, and all those things? Listen, salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. No one was saved because they sewed with wool or flax, all right? No one was more valuable to God because they rose up early, considered a field, bought it, sowed it, reaped it, and harvested it in a day. You are not guaranteed heaven because your husband or those around you call you blessed or because you can laugh at the days to come. Jesus will not use Proverbs 31 as a measuring rod for your salvation. It is only what you did with the man on the middle cross. I heard a story this week, and I close with this. I know I keep saying I close with this, but this is really the close. I close my Bible, so I'm really closing. I turn my iPad off, all right? So this is it. Uh, think about the thief on the cross. Jesus crucified with two robbers and thieves on either side of him. One gospel shows that they're both mocking Jesus and reviling him. You saved others, why can't you save us and yourself come down? Both of them poking at Jesus, and in another gospel, it presents one of them saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, in his dying moments, looks over at that guy and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He was saved. A condemned criminal, deserving of death, looked over at Jesus who was undeserving of death and placed his trust in him. Now I imagine, Ligon Duncan says, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, I'm sorry, says, I imagine when that guy got to heaven that the angel said, now, now, now uh, who are you and how did you get here? And, uh, and he says, I, I, I don't really know. He said, well, what do you mean? You, you didn't know the Ten Commandments? No, I don't think I really knew them. You didn't go to Sunday school? I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, and the angels might have been dumbfounded at this guy and finally said, well, how did you get here? On what merit are you here? He said, all I know is the, middle, the man on the middle cross said, 
uh, today I could come with him to paradise. That's salvation. That Jesus did the work you couldn't do. He became the perfect person that we couldn't become. On the cross, he took our punishment and our sin on himself so that we could be with him in heaven. Don't think that Proverbs 31 is a weight that you have to live up to to earn God's favor. When he sees you, he sees you in Christ and he sees the righteousness of Jesus covering you. And that, that relieves the pressure and allows us to acknowledge our sinfulness before him. So Father, we thank you for the gospel. The good news that we don't have to earn our own salvation. The good news that our salvation isn't dependent on our behavior or our morality. Our salvation is dependent on Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross. I pray specifically for the women here listening to my voice today. I pray that this wouldn't be a weight thrown around their neck, showing them of where they fall short, but it would be understood for what it is, an acrostic poem revealing our need for a Savior, an acrostic poem celebrating a godly woman. Would you help the women specifically in the room to hear this word and to celebrate the goodness of God in the way that he has designed them and made them? that they are sufficient, but they also need a Savior. Jesus, you love them. You died on the cross for them, and the cross was enough to save all of them. For those who know you and trust you and love you already, I pray that you would build them in their process of sanctification, that they may more and more resemble you, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen.